This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. this series called 321, the story of God, the world and you. Last week we looked at three. God is a loving union of three, Father, Son and Spirit, which makes that God totally different from the God that you might feel is like this lone, uh, self-centered dictator. No, this God is a loving community, community of three. So that love is his first and natural thing. It's what he's been doing through all eternity so we looked at that last week. The thing about 321 is it's a course that we run uh, um, to, for people who want to find out more uh, about the core truths of the Christian faith. So last week, that God is three, Trinity, that's pretty core to what we believe, right? Okay, this one you might not think is fairly core uh, to what we believe, but this week we're going to look at two, the world, the story of two guys. Uh, and we're going to look at that. But just as I was thinking about this, I just kind of, I probably went too far about it, but I was thinking about choice, uh, about the importance of choice and how much uh, we love choice and how much choice shapes us. Uh, One writer in the 1950s, my quotes are from America because I was reading a a paper, a book from a guy in in America. So a guy in 1950s, Chicago, his name was too long, he's probably Latin, Latino, I couldn't pronounce his name so I thought I won't put it in. He says this, most of us in, in America, and I think it's true for the West and world, believe that choice is a good thing in life. Choice is a good thing in life, and the more choices we have, the happier we are. We're tracking. In fact, he says, this idea is so clear and self-evident, you don't even need to talk about it. We don't even, we, nobody says now, should we have more choices or less choices? It's stupid. Everybody says, I want more choice. A researcher called Charles Taylor from Harvard, I put Harvard there so you think, whoa, this is important, isn't it? Better listen. Guy from Harvard said this in 2008, let each person do their own thing. And one shouldn't criticize the values of others because they have a right to live their life, uh, uh, to live their life as they do, uh, as they want. The only sin to, which is not to be tolerated is intolerance. Do you you feel that that's an interesting insight in our culture? Everybody's got the right to live the life as they do. You know, so a friend, Andy Allen, who's gone to plant a church in London, was talking to a guy he's played football with for some time, and he was talking to him about, saying to him about Jesus, and the guy said, well, I've got my views, you've got your views. Don't impose your views on me. I've got a right to live my life with my views my way. And the worst thing that you're going to find is that, that people might think you're intolerant because if you say, well, I believe in this guy, Jesus, you might not, but if you believe in this guy, Jesus, and, 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 then, and you say that to someone else, it's almost like you're crossing this boundary of you're saying, I, I want to impose my, my choice on you, and that's intolerance. You're saying, hey, you, you believe what you want, I believe what I want, we're all happy. And we kind of live in that world, and, and we feel that, that, that actually intolerance is, is like the massive sin. So if you say, I don't agree with that, people are like, whoa, what is your problem? 
Have you found that? If you say, well, this, this is happening in society, this is what's happening in moral, morality or ethics, I, I don't agree with that. That is a, like a huge step in our culture because our culture says, I can believe what I want and do what I want and choose what I want. Uh, I, I, uh, a guy, a professor called Daniel Yankovic, he said this, he picked this trend in 1981, he said, now in the new rules society, the old rules was different. In other words, it wasn't so much about choice, it was much more about duty. But in new rules society, our primary responsibility is to our own self-fulfillment. Everything else must fit around that priority. So we feel like if you get, if I've got choices then I can activate my own self-fulfillment. I can, I can do what I want and be what I want. That's kind of why we like money. Nobody likes kind of paper notes. We have, you know, we have plastic now. But no, nobody likes kind of paper money for the sake of money. There's not the stuff of money, but the, the, we feel like money. We like money because it gives us choice. And choice is about self-fulfillment, and self-fulfillment is the highest goal. So, so if you say to me, I, I believe in a, in a God that says you marry one, one woman and you have sex with her for the rest of your life, everybody goes, whoa, what about choice? That's not the only one, but that's the one that like, whoa, people say to me, I can't believe in, I couldn't do that. I couldn't believe in that kind of God. So we've got this idea about self-fulfillment. So choice is massive. In fact, I didn't even know he came from Gloucester, but there's a, a, a poet... A Victorian poet, so it's, this is nothing new under the sun, uh, called William Ernest Henley. He's from, uh, from Gloucester. He had a poem called Invictus. If you went to public school, they probably you know, used to say it in assemblies. I didn't go to public school, so I've never heard it before. No, but, but they say this famous line. You've probably heard this. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Who's heard that line before? We love it, don't we? I am the master of my fate. I can choose what I want. I can do what I want. I can be what I want. I can create the identity I want. Sorry to burst your bubble, people. It's a myth. You are not the master of your soul. You're not. You cannot shape yourself. We can do it a little bit, but you cannot shape yourself because other things have shaped you much, much more. Other things have shaped you so much more. Glenn Srivner, who wrote the course uh, uh, 3 to 1, says this in the course book, book self-fulfillment. The idea that you can shape how you are simply by your choices you make is a myth. Boom. Certain realities about you are fixed in place often centuries before your birth. You didn't choose where or when you were born. You didn't choose your nationality, your gender, although you can these days, perhaps. Your genetics, your ancestors, your parents, the culture of your upbringing, yet all have and will shape you and I at the deepest level. Do you agree with that? They shape us at the deepest level. Those things that we have no choice over us. The amount of time and counselling that's spent about, like, I had messed up parents. And then you're a parent, you think, man, I'm going to be a messed up parent that my kids are going to have counselling about. You know, we, we feel that we're free to do whatever, but so much is shaped by who you are, the opportunities they created, the, all of those kind of things. It, it, it's massive. And we don't have any power over the biggest enemy to our self-fulfillment, our death. 
So we were away as a, a, as a leadership team, and, and, and the, what's happening in my world more and more is people are saying, uh, well, when Howard retires. <laughs> and I think, stop talking about that. You know, I feel young. You know, I, I'm 58, and you think, man, I'm shocked you look much younger. Uh, but, you know, I'm 58, and, and, and I just kind of worked it out. And I was like, some people, I, I, I play golf with a guy who retired at 60. He's been playing golf for 17 years. He hasn't got any better. <laughs> That's golf for you. But, you know, it's like 60. I could retire at 60. You know, 65 maybe. I don't know. And, and then, then you do the horrible maths. 12 years, I'll be 70. Is that the average bat these days? I hope not. That feels very scary, doesn't it? You know, I, I, please be my friend in the next 12 years because I might be gone. We don't talk like that, do we? You know, the Victorians talked a lot about death and not about sex. We talk a lot about sex, but we never talk about death. But death is this ultimate slam dunk on our self-fulfillment. I feel like I've got lots to learn and I've got lots to give and whoa. Now, obviously, if you're a student, you think you're going to live forever, don't you? So you think you can waste your time. You know, you've got one hour's lecture a week. You can hang out. You can play 24 years of PlayStation. You know, it doesn't matter because you've got forever. But when you get to my age, get to our age, thank you, we're getting some more grey-haired folks around in the room. You know, you get that, don't you? That death is this thing, this freight train's coming down the track and it's going to affect our self-fulfillment. Okay, so what's all that to do with two? I think it's a lot to do with two because actually what we're going to find is that choice, choice has determined your future, but it ain't your choice. Someone else's choice has determined your future. And as we did last week, we're going to go right back to the beginning. We're going to work fairly hard about that, but let's just uh, jump in. Genesis chapter 1, right at the beginning of the Bible, uh, it says this about, um, about us. So God created man. That word man, by the way, gets translated as humanity or mankind because actually the word Adam kind of means both. It means a man called Adam, a man out of the ground, and Adam means the kind of almost like it sounds like the red dust of the ground, uh, but it also means humanity. So this kind of embraces that. And I think it's important that we get that, that, that God created humanity, but he, he named it after one guy. In his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Uh, a male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and rule over it. Sub subdue and rule over it. Uh, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. We're going to find a living creature sliding along the ground, coming in the story, so just remember that. And God saw that all he was made and it was very good. There was morning, there was evening, the sixth day. It's really interesting, isn't it, that, that actually... What God started was with a world that was very good. And he started with a world that was very good because he, he made us in community. It's almost like a bit of a th throwback to last week. Let's read Glenn, Glenn Strivener again. The three, Father, Son, and Spirit, want to make an image to represent God as stewards and regents to bring his good rule on the earth. Steward means you've been given something to look after. Regent, we don't use that term very much, but although we're in a regency town, we should know what it means, shouldn't we? But regent means it's like you're given responsibility by the sovereign to rule. You're not the king, the queen, but you're given responsibility to rule. So, so the Adam, and, Adam and Eve are given responsibility to, to, to rule and to bring God's good rule on the earth. 
Father, Son, and Spirit say to one another, let's make humanity in our image. And he says this, what could possibly look like, uh, look like a God perfectly united in love? Answer, a union of love. So in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them to be fruitful and increase and rule. The human race was created very good to look like God's united life. But even deeper than that, we're meant to share it, to live in the Father's embrace. There's a sense where we're created whole. We're created in community, men and women, but, but we're created in community to be like God, to be fully satisfied. But something's kind of gone wrong with the world. Did anybody know the song by the Black Eyed Peas? I always quote this song by the Black Eyed Peas. Uh, called Where is the Love? Does anyone want to sing it for us? <laughs> yeah. I, I think it goes something like, you know, what's wrong with the world, mama? People like living like they ain't got no mamas. <laughs> you know, we're all addicted to the drama. You know, uh, the, the kind of people killing, people dying, children hurting, children crying, you know. Let us practice what we preach. Let us turn the other cheek. You, you kind of know that song. It's like something's wrong with the world here. And we're going to find, actually, that what's gone wrong with the world is to do with one guy called Adam. Uh, so two is a story that the world is shaped by two representatives. One Corinthians, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 21, For since death came through a man, single, the resurrection of the dead came also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be alive. Paul often talks about the world as if there's just two guys. He doesn't talk about all of us. He talks about there's one guy called Adam and there's another guy called Jesus. And it's interesting, what does that mean? What does it mean? Well, I think it's interesting that if you look at the, the queen, the queen acts for us. The president of the United States as the head of state acts for us. They act as you know, presidents and heads of states, they act for you. So, so if the queen, actually it's supposed to be parliament that declares war, it's all very complicated, but basically what they do that is through the royal prerogative. In other words, when the queen says, we're doing that, we're all doing it. We're all in. When the president makes a, 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 an edict, I know there's balances of power, but basically they act for all of us. That's what it means to be the head of state. You represent all of us. And Paul talks about these two guys in Romans 5 uh, 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 as like the, Jesus and Adam as like the twin heads of state of, of different nations. And let's try and read it and see if we can make some sense of it. It's complicated. I've put some brackets in to help you. Sin came into the world through one man, Adam. And death through sin, so that death spread to all people because all have sinned. So here's the, here's the thing. This guy, Adam, was given the responsibility, like he's the regent, he's given responsibility as the head of the human race. There's no other people. In one sense, they're all genetically inside him. There's no other people. He's given responsibility for the, for the, to, to be the head of the human race. And then what happens is he, he makes a choice, and that choice becomes our choice. And that choice has consequences called death. But the free gift, so this is the contrast, the free gift is not like the sin. For if many died, that's all the people have died in all humanity, through one man sins, Adam, how much more has the free gift 
that is by the grace, that's free gift, it's the same word, a free gift of, of grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many. For if, because of one man's sin, death reigned, so that's that kind of ruling thing again, reigned over all, all, all through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, where death ruled, so now grace might rule, leading to life without end through Jesus Christ our Lord. It, it, it feels strange, doesn't it? But we're trying to talk about these, these two people that shape our destiny. You don't get to shape your destiny. These two people shape your destiny. Now, it's interesting. You might say, well, I, I am in charge of my own soul. I am the captain of my own soul. But it's interesting. If, if we're responsible for our own actions, what, how do you make it uh, if somebody gets sick? If somebody is, is born disabled, or if somebody, you know, if something happens, and you, are we, if you say, I'm the captain of my own soul, that means that they're responsible for how they are. So I remember an England manager called Glenn Hall. Does anyone remember, remember him? He was fairly good. Some of you don't remember him. But he lost his job. He lost his job because he said, this baby who was sick, it was because she had sinned. He'd got a kind of mixed up Christian thing going on. And actually, we, if we live in a world where we say, I'm the captain of my own soul, anything that happens to us, any consequence that happens to us, any bad stuff that happens to us is our own fault. We don't, we don't kind of believe that, do we? We believe actually it's, it, there's something else going on. There's something broken in the world that means that some people get sick and some people are born with, with challenges and some people, are, you know, we, we get that, don't we? we so we understand that something's coming to us that's not just from us. But actually, what Paul is saying is, but we all follow that. So my father-in-law says, says we're, we're sinners by birth. Something's come to us from the past, from Adam. Sinners by birth, sinners by choice, and sinners by habit. So you do do these things, but ultimately the root of them comes from someone else. You're all scratching your heads. It will hopefully become clear. Oh, there's always next week. <laughs> so let's go back to the beginning and say, well, what did, what did Adam do that was such a big deal that has meant that the world is broken and messed up, that we see sickness and disease and, and broken relationship? What, what happened? What did this one guy do that was so catastrophic? Let's go back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 3, I've selected some verses to kind of help us just get there. Now the serpent said to the woman. So we're in a garden. We're in a garden that God has planted. It was almost like the prototype earth. And God said, okay, the earth kind of needs, needs like some order and some structure. I'm going to show you how it works. I'm, I'm going to stoop down and plant this garden. I'm going to plant trees and plants, and I'm going to make this beautiful garden, Garden of Eden, paradise. God plants a paradise, puts, puts humanity in it. And they're told, what, what were they told their job was? Can I remember? I'll give you a hint. Can anyone remember to see if you're tracking? What were they told their job was? They to name all the animals. That wasn't what I gave you, but yes, I'll have that one. Okay, what else? What else were they given to do? They were given like this regent, this headship thing. What was their job? Alex's wants to answer. Yeah. 
Yeah, they were to, to, to help plant the garden and to prosper, but actually they were given instruction, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every little creature that crawls along the ground. Now the serpent said to the woman, we, we find out later on in the Bible that this serpent is the personification of evil, the devil if you want to call it. The ter- serpent said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, so at the foot of a tree while this is going on, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat f- fruit from all the trees in the garden, but God did not say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden or you will die. You will certainly not die, said the serpent. For God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman took some and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked and they were ashamed and they made coverings. It says fig leaves, sewed together fig leaves, coverings of fig leaves for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he's walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But when the Lord called to the man, but the Lord called to the man, where are you? It's not because he didn't know where he was. He's asking for his emotional state. He answers, I was afraid. He answers, he understands the question. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman, he's blame shifting here, the woman you put here, it's your fault God and the woman's fault, it ain't mine. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what have you done? The woman said, the serpent, so she's blame shifting as well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, I'm going to put a battle of hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike at his heel. To Adam, he said, because you ate the fruit from the tree, cursed is the ground, or cursed is the earth, because of you. You will Dust you are, to dust you will return. You'll return to the ground from which you're taken. For dust you are, and dust you return. Then the Lord exiled him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground. So we've got this kind of funny thing going on with with this tree. And it feels like, doesn't, it feels like, kind of like a, a silly story. But actually, it's a profound insight into the human condition. Let's just track some stuff. So, in the middle of the garden, there's two trees. The first tree in the middle of the garden is a tree called the tree of knowledge. It's called the tree of knowledge somewhere elsewhere. It's called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, you've got to understand that, that trees and sitting under trees wasn't just like for sunbathing or for getting out of the shade in the ancient Middle East. What would happen, you can find it as you read through the Bible, the kings and rulers of the uh, ancient Middle East would sit under trees and people would come to them and they would pass judgment on their situations, almost like a law court or a situation. They'd pass judgment on their situation. And basically what we've got is here, Adam and Eve are told to rule the earth and guard it from evil but what the way they're going to rule is they're going to guard it with the definition of good and evil. God's definition of good and evil. They weren't to reach out and say, we're going to have our own definition of good and evil. Let me explain. So in, uh, in, the, in the UK and in the States, there's a, there's a Supreme Court. Now, particularly in the States, there's a written constitution. And the Supreme Court have got to make their judgments based on the constitution. Yeah? They're not to rewrite the Constitution. 
They've got to make their judgments based on the Constitution. So it's almost like the same thing. Adam and Eve have said, Look, this is these, the, I'm, I'm going to give you the knowledge of good and evil, but it's my definition of what's good and evil. And you've got to sit under that tree, and when stuff comes along, you've got to bring your, bring your judgments. Are you, are you with me? Yeah, okay. So that's what they're asked to do. They're, not, they're told, but if you decide to reach out and take the, take the responsibility to decide what's good and evil for yourself, that's going to be bad news. You're going to die. So what happens is, what's going on, is the first thing that goes on is there's a problem with sovereignty. That, that people, that, that, that Adam and Eve decide, the serpent comes along and says, God says, um, you can't eat the trees of the garden, can you believe God, he's really lying. And they said, well, if we eat it, we'll die. And the serpent says, no, you won't die. And I think the way it goes is that basically, that, that the serpent's trying to tempt them, like we talked last week, that, that God's a bad God. That he's, he's actually holding out on them, that he actually um, wants the best for himself. He's trying to keep the best for himself, and he's holding out on them. And if they, if they reach out and, de- and become the ruler, in other words, they decide what's good and evil, if they reach out and become the ruler, they'll be happy. So that's the kind of temptation. He says, God is bad. You want, a, you want to self-fulfill, you want to fulfill your own life, you want to reach out, you don't have the choice to fulfill your own life, so why don't you reach out, take the fruit, actually you're not going to die, God's telling you a lie, what's going to really happen is you're going to suddenly, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to be God. And they go for it. I mean, it's staggering that they go for it. They're living in this paradise, but they go for it. And so Adam and Eve decide, yeah, I, I want to be in charge, I want to be on the throne, and we see that in humanity. We see that right away through, through our lives. So basically what we got is we've got that Adam and Eve want to reach out. So what happens, let me just read. Having placed ourselves on the throne, we judge God to be a liar whose word is unreliable and whose rule is all about limiting our freedom. Have you ever heard that? If you talk to people, they think, oh, you can't believe God, they can't believe the Bible, God's a liar, he's trying to hold, limit your freedom, he's trying to box you in. You know, he's, he's the enemy of our self-fulfillment. So what happens is that, that, that humanity decides we're going to be in charge. We're going to take the rule for ourselves. And so we, that's what we do. We take the rule for ourselves. So here's the thing. Tim Chester says this. He, said, he says, we want to rule ourselves, but we can't. We want to rule ourselves. We can't rule over ourselves. So what happens is something else rules over us. So we want self-fulfillment. Track with me. We want self-fulfillment. We think, I want to be in charge of my own life. But the reality is when we get in charge of our own life, where all our dreams come true, all our our choices are there, what we find is that we're not in charge of our own life. We find our life turns into a mess. Do Do you get that? Now, you probably don't feel that because you never get to the top of the ladder. You probably never get to the top of the ladder to see what it's like to have no limit to your choices. George Michael, brilliant musician, he said this, uh, when he's, he's caught in a misdemeanor uh, in Los Angeles, he said, what's a boy going to do when all his dreams come true? He's like, I'm in charge of my own life. I'm the captain of my own fate. I can do whatever I want. What's a boy going to do when all his dreams come true? The bottom line is, he can't be in charge of himself. He just acts stupid. So we got the, uh, later on, if you remember George Mike, you might remember him from, from Smithy, you know, Smithy, James Corden, uh, kind of uh, comic relief, and, and, they're, and they're driving in the car, James Corden and George Michael are, uh, are in the car together, 
And um, George Michael saying, hey, what are you doing? Say, oh, we're doing this thing called Comet Relief. It's this, this big fundraiser, telephone thing. We're raising the money. And George goes, hey, that's great, isn't it? And he goes, it's for people like you, George. <laughs> Does anyone remember that? Probably not. But what I'm saying is, it's like, oh, here's, here's a guy. All his dreams come true. He's going to take, he's got everything going for himself. But yet, he can't rule himself. He can't rule himself. So what happens is, who becomes in charge? We become slaves to our appetites. Your appetites rule you. You want to rule. You don't want God to rule you. you want, so what happens is, your appetites rule you. Hands up who has tr- trouble with that appetite. I, I do. I love food. There's talk in our leadership team about fasting once a week. You know, I tried to look like I was really pleased about that. <laughs> You know, and, and my wife are thinking he needs to lose weight. But I, I, I'm, there's something about, you know, I, 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 I hope I'm not a comfort eater. But, you know, there's a, sometimes you just got to go down to Morrison's and get some dairy milk, don't you? <laughs> I can talk about that appetite, but if I talked about an appetite for power, or an appetite for control, or an appetite for sex, or an appetite for pleasure, or for comfort, you, you think, oh, well, you know, you know it, you're a little bit, it's a bit more dodgy to talk about those kind of things, isn't it? But actually, that's true. We, are, we can't rule ourselves, so we're ruled by our appetites. And, and, and Tim Chester says, we can't rule over ourselves, so, you know, we, we, we want of God rule over us, we can't rule over ourselves, so sin rules over us. Jesus says, everybody who sins is a slave to sin. We become slaves to our appetite and slave to the little gods like money and popularity and experience. The next thing that happens is, they've got, is, is that they, they eat the fruit, they think everything's going to be great, they expect everything to be brilliant, they think autonomy and self-fulfillment is going to bring me everything and what they realise, the first thing they realise about themselves is they're naked. They don't think, man, I'm happy and fulfilled. The first thing they realize is they're naked, and what they do is they, they go away and hide. They sew fig leaves together. It's kind of pathetic, isn't it? What kind of demo, you know? <laughs> but, but, you know, it's, it's a little bit pathetic, isn't it? They kind of get these little fig leaves, and say, I'll just hide behind these. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and we think, oh, well, that's a stupid story. What's the fig leaves? But actually, we're doing that all the time. The bottom line is that, that we feel shame all the time. We feel ashamed all the time. You think, if people really knew me, they wouldn't like me. It's called the imposter's dilemma. And what happens is that you, you reach out for self-fulfillment, but what you find is when you look inside to rule yourself, you just think, ah, I'm empty. Derek Worthington, in his book, The, uh, the Call of Jesus, says this. A guy from New York. So nobody believes the identities we've made for ourselves. I feel like nobody in the world, I feel like everybody in the world is fake now. Although people had true cause once, but we hide them away and replace them with something more attractive, but also more hollow. We've resorted to, to, to hiding in plain sight. We, we create identities that we believe will make, make us more accepted and less rejected, more lovable. And while we've made ourselves more attractive, we've become, in the process, more empty. Empty, scared, and hidden. We reach out for self-fulfillment. Adam reaches out for self-fulfillment and we just think, I'm a, I'm a fake. We all feel that. However good we're doing, 
we think, if people knew that about me, they'd never love me. So I'm just going to hide on by. Shame enters the world. Okay, next one. What happens next is they're separated from God. God actually says, you're going out of the garden, exiled, away from God. But actually, it's their choice, not God's choice. God wanted them in. We talked last week about God wants to embrace them. He wants them in. But they kind of they separate themselves from God. There's a story in the Bible you might know called the prodigal son, where it says that a son goes to his father and says, uh, give me all the money, give me self-autonomy, give me everything, give me self-fulfillment, give me your stuff. Uh, I wish you were dead. And he goes off to a far-off country. He separates himself. He separates himself. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, Your sins have separated you from God. Uh, we moved to Manchester uh, some years ago, and for, for, for three months we never saw the sun. So you're probably glad. I mean, Lorette's thinking, I, I'm from Langebaum. It's sunny every day for 364 days of the year. You know, we moved to Manchester, and we, we, we never saw the sun. You could have said... Is there such a thing as the sun? You know, because we kind of know it's out there in theory. But and and people feel like that about God. Your friends, your workmates, maybe even you feel like, uh, is there a God anywhere? You don't feel like there's God involved at all. It's almost like the cloud has blocked the sun out, so that and we've lived forever without the sun, without the bright, warm goodness of God's love. And so we separated from Him exile from him. And I've used this quote before. So it makes us restless. It says, you've made us for yourself, Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. It's almost like we're looking for something, looking for some light. We're groping around in the darkness, says Jose. We're, we're kind of walking along the walls. There must be something. But we don't think about God because somehow God's been blocked out. He's separated from us. We feel far away. You know, it says in the story of the prodigal son, he comes to his senses and says, why didn't I go back there? Why don't I go back to my father? But Adam feels that separation is cast out. That, that Adam is, uh, God says to Adam, because you've done this, you're going to die. Because you've done this, you're going to die. Let me explain it. Go through and I'll read the quote and then explain it. Sin brings death. Sounds a bit like uh, an overreaction on God's part. Sin brings death. Sounds a bit of an overreaction on God's part. But... If God is life, and he is, and sin is turning away from God's life, and it is, then sin brings death is an inescapable fact of existence. If God is life, I'll take this bread, if God is life, to stay here and to taste and see and eat from the tree of life, then's life. But if you say, I, 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 I don't want that, it's a suicidal turning from life. Death happens. Paul writes in the verse we're talking about, it says, sin came into the world for one man, and death through sin. So sin spread to all of us. So basically what happens is Adam is close to God, he says, I don't want God. And then we all feel like we live here, where's God? Where's God? Father, Father, send some guidance from above, say the black-eyed peas, because the, the world's got me asking, where's the love? And we feel separated from God. We feel the sentence of God. Every time that there's a funeral, it's the elephant in the room. Why is there death? We know it's an insult. We know it's wrong. There's something wrong. Why is death? 
Death reigns, it says in Romans 5, it says, because, for if because of one man Adam sinned, death reigned through all, over all through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ? Where death ruled, so now grace might rule, leading to life without end through Jesus Christ the Lord. In other words, death's in charge of us. Death's in charge. Death's the ruler right now. So let's just go Adam's choices and we'll try and turn it quick. Adam's, choices, Adam's choice determines the human condition. Sovereignty, we cannot rule over ourselves. Slaves, we're held, power, we're held by the power of sin. Shame, we feel the shame of sin. Separation, ruthless, homeless, cut off from God. Suicidal away from the life of God. Feel the sense of God. Death ruling over us. But there's another guy coming in the story. Let's, let's get him in quick. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 40, uh, 45 says, The first man, Adam, became a living being. In other words, God made him out of the soil and breathed life into him. The last man, a life-giving spirit. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. And just as we've borne the image of the earthly man, in other words, we have all those characteristics. We feel ashamed. We feel the sense of death. We feel separated from God. We feel all those things. As, as we've borne the image of the earthly man, the invitation is, will we bear the image of the heavenly man? And Jesus is the image of God. He's like, Adam is created in the image of God. We read that before. Adam's created in the image of God. And now here comes the second guy, Jesus, who is God, who's made in the image of God, the Son. Uh, it says in Colossians 1.15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He comes like the second Adam, the second Son of God, the second image of God. Uh, Galatians 4 says, When the time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman. It's interesting, born of a woman, what was the one born of a woman going to do? He was going to be in this big fight with the enemy, with Satan, and come through. What we find in Jesus' life is that he has these encounters with evil, and he doesn't choose self-fulfillment, he chooses God. He doesn't say, uh, you know, Satan says, you can be the ruler of all the earth if you bow down and worship me. He doesn't fall for that. He says, I know it's a lie. Now I'm going, to, I'm going to worship God. I'm not going to go for that. In the garden, Jesus is facing the, the reality of, of death on the cross. In, in Matthew 26 says, He fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Now, not, yet, not what I will, but your will. There's this battle coming on and Satan wants to take him down and he's saying, I'm going to crush your head. I'm going to crush your rule. So let's go through. When Jesus dies on the cross, he reverses all this. He reverses the sovereignty. It said he's the king. Adam became the king and, and brought us all into death. But here's Jesus acts as the king. Pilate fixed the notice uh, on the cross. as Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. He becomes the king. He acts for us. He's our king. What he does counts for us. Slaves. Jesus dies a slave's death. Fleming Routledge, great uh, American uh, um, uh, writer, she's a woman, says this. Why was Jesus crucified? It's not just his death, but the manner of his death. To speak of crucifixion is to speak of a slave's death. For the nameless, the powerless, the least and the lowest. We're all slaves to sin, we can't get free, but here Jesus becomes a slave. Takes a slave's death and dies to set us free from that. Shame. We've got this hiding, this fear, this shame. But what goes on on the cross is almost like Jesus takes the shame. Takes the, he sucks up all the shame from all of us and carries it in himself. Fleming Routledge again says this, degradation was the whole point. 
Jesus dies naked and shamed. Degradation was the whole point. Executed publicly uh, on a public highway. Naked, devoid of all clothing, covered with their own faces, feces. Victims of crucifixion were subjected to unmitigated, vicious ridicule. And when they finally died, their bodies were left to rot on the cross. Why all that? Why that humiliation? Why? He, you know, you see in the pictures, don't you? He's got a nice little bit of a loincloth thing going on. No. They crucified them naked. And people spat at them and shouted at them. And their bowels gave way. And they mocked them and ridiculed them. And then when they died, they didn't take them down from the cross. They just used to leave them up there. And the birds peck away at their bodies and they just rot and smell on the cross. The whole point of the horror of crucifixion by, was Rome to deg- was to degradate, to, to shame the person. But yet Jesus takes all our shame, he takes all our hidden shame and takes it on himself and he says, no hiding, naked, carrying the shame of the world. Separation, we feel this separation from God. We feel this far away from the Father. We feel where is Where is God? We feel this cloud, this sin, this darkness shutting us out, but yet we get Jesus walks into that and carries it for us. Matthew 27, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over over all the land. At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lamak sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is that happening? Because he's taken into himself all the separation that Adam's foolish choice gives. He takes it in himself. So you don't need to be separated from God. So you don't have to think, well, where is God? Where is the love? Where's all this? No, Jesus takes that separation. He removes the cloud as he he blacks out the darkness over the land so that we can live in light. What happens with the sentence? Jesus is judged on the tree, just as like uh, Adam and Eve were supposed to judge the world from the tree. Jesus is judged on a tree. It's almost like the judgment comes down from the one who sets good and evil and takes his beautiful, beautiful, lovely son who never did anything wrong and passes judgment on him for what you've done, for what I've done. One of the criminals on the cross next to him kind of got it. So one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. That's what they did. They, I mean, how ridiculous. They're all getting crucified. You know, how angry and self-justifying are we? It's a bit like, you know, we hear Adam say, well, it's him, and it was a woman, and it was God, and, the, we're all the, and this, the, the, three, the, the two thieves on either side are doing the same. It's your fault, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. You come and you say, don't we do that, self-justifying all the time? One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Interesting. That's what he's... He, he couldn't save himself if he was going to save us. He couldn't save himself if he was going to save us. He had to stay up there so that we didn't have to suffer Adam's situation. Don't you fear God, said, said one. Since we are under the same sentence, we have been punished justly. You know, the sentence is deserved. We've walked away from the life of God and the sentence is deserved. For we're getting what our deeds deserved. But this man's done nothing wrong. God takes the sentence of death, the, the sentence that we, suicidally we've brought on ourselves and, and says, I'm going to put it on him. So what's the situation? We're nearly done. 
so life can come. So ultimate self-fulfillment can come. Read it again. For if, because of one man, Adam's sin, death reigned over all through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Where death ruled, so now grace may rule, living to, leading to life without end through Jesus Christ our Lord. You might say well, that's not true, because everybody dies. But the, the frightening reality is that Adam's condition goes into eternity, separated from God in eternity, under the sentence of death for eternity, ashamed, degraded, away from the life of God. But God says, no, I'm going to take it and put it on him. So the question is, which camp are you in? If you do have a choice at all, of self-fulfillment, the one that's really going to make a difference. The question is, which camp are you in? Are you in Adam? Let's do Adam's camp over here. Are you in Adam's camp? Stretching for self-fulfillment. Grasping for, for something, just something that's going to make me feel satisfied. Just something, but yet can't rule over yourself. Becoming a slave to sin. Patterns of behavior you can't break. Feeling, where God, where are you? Feeling shamed. Knowing your life's passing by. And it's all empty and meaningless. And you share Adam's condition. Maybe you can relate to that because you're related. Or are you, are you in this camp? Are you in Christ? He takes all of that so that you can be in the Father's embrace. Look, we read it at the beginning. For as in Adam, all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. We buried my, my mother-in-law just over a year ago. And the funeral was really remarkable because the, what we knew it wasn't the end. We knew that eternity stretched out before her. So although we were sad, it was an incredibly joyous occasion. I preached there and there was a big crowd and I was really nervous, but like there was a sense of this is not the end. There's a life that goes on forever that she's partaken of because she's in Christ. Let me just read these what truths. The band can come back. Jesus' choice to go to the cross, to live the life we couldn't live, transforms the human condition. In Christ, we reign in life with him. You feel your life's pressured down, you can't manage it, you're trying to run it yourself, it's exhausting. Let, reign with him, let him be in charge. You feel like a slave to sin. In Christ, we're free from the power of sin. The truth is, if you're not a, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you, you cannot help it. You cannot help it. I've had people, their marriages going to the wall, and they said, I can't help it, I'm addicted to gambling. I can't help it, I'm addicted to porn. And if they're not a Christian, it's true, they can't help it. But if you're a Christian, you're set free. You can help it. You've got the power of Jesus to pass the test in the garden. If you feel shame, if you feel like what, no one loves me, no one cares for me, what if everyone knew me, they'd reject me. In Christ, we're clothed with him. Separation in Christ, we're welcomed by the Father. Sentence, Paul says, there's no judgment, no condemnation for those in Christ. Death is defeated. Its eternity no longer reigns over us.
Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5.15, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who's reconciled us to himself. The big question that 321 asks us, the big question I think the world asks us about self-fulfillment and choice is, which team are you on? Are you on team Adam? Are you on team Christ? You might think there's another way, there's another thing, but the Bible describes it as two choices. And what we're going to do is we're going to break bread, and what we're going to do is we're going to say that we're going to do the opposite of Adam. Well, Adam say, I don't, I don't want God. I, I, I take, I, I, I'm going to find self-fulfillment myself. The, here comes us, and we say, Jesus, he says, on the night he's betrayed, took bread, broke it. Gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. What they're doing is they're saying, I need him. I need his life in me. I need him to take away my shame, to carry my sentence, to bring me close to God. I need him to be the king. And as you take this, you're saying, I'm, I'm sitting under your tree, under your judgment feeding on your good things. There's a tree, another tree in the middle of the garden. We'll talk about him next week, Jesus. And they could have eaten from him. They could have said, I want him. I'm having him. I'm having his life. And that's the choice we're making. We're saying we're having his life this morning. And if you're, if you're a, a follower of Jesus, you might think, actually, I feel all those conditions of Adam. The truth is that by God's grace and God's spirit, that doesn't need to be your, exist, uh, your experience. You can live differently. And if you're not a Christian, you might think, well, actually, I don't know if I track with this, but actually the invitation is, whose team are you going to be on? Whose team are you going to be on? The reason why I get excited about it, the reason why I talk so much, I'm sorry, is because this is so, this is the one choice you get. Whose team are you on? If you're a Christian this morning, come, take and eat, Team Jesus. Let his blood flow in your veins, let his life flow in you, let his goodness flow in you. If you're not a Christian, the, the Bible says don't come, because this is for Team Jesus this morning. If you're in Adam's team, as one lady said, well, if we're in Adam's team, that's it, we're all, well, she swore actually, but she said we're all stuffed. In Adam, all die. But if you're in Team Adam, just face the fact I'm in Team Adam, and we're glad you're here, and we don't want you to feel bad. And you might think, man, that gun's a ranter. I'm not coming there again. But I want you to know that actually there's an invitation. Come and taste and eat. Team Jesus. His life. For you. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.